Welcome to the Cinematologist Podcast. In Berlin, part two, uh, I'm Neil Fox, and joining me for the, sadly, for the last time here face-to-face for a while is Dario Linares. Hello, Dario. Hello, Neil. How are you doing? Yes, it's, uh, it's a bittersweet moment now where I'm just on the way to the airport, and uh, yeah, but it was a great day yesterday. Yeah, really Really good. nice. Couple of films, nicely out for dinner, lots of taping, discussion about the podcast going forward, nice news maybe for, for things coming forward going forward so uh, yeah just a great day all round and I've had a great great time while I've been here um, and just you know it's a reminder of of going to different events and the things that we can do around the podcast it's all about what the, what it is in terms of the taping and getting it out there but really it's about kind of meeting up and, pe- and meeting people and discussing and just reminding ourselves why we do what we do and why we're interested in, in cinema as a as a way of talking, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's great. absolutely, yeah. It was a really, really positive day, really fun, good movies, lots to talk about. Uh, and then, yeah, kind of having an outlet and sort of knowing that people uh, are listening, you know, in different places. I had a nice moment yesterday with someone who listened to our podcast last year and said, you know, that amazing that no one else was kind of podcasting from Berlin and was glad that we were back doing this uh this season as well so it's it's kind of yeah it was really encouraging and just yeah just just a good day um you know without being too uh self-aggrandizing it was just it was a really good day um yeah kind of a good reminder of of why we did set this thing up five years ago almost five years ago this this week maybe was our first episode so this could be like literally the fifth year anniversary of this thing which we were kind of reminded of yesterday um, which was nice yeah mm, yeah awesome so we um, so this is your the start of your odyssey now for the next few days you've got got a few things to see I think so, some I mean we've already had reports of certain films that you're going to see yeah. um, and some people have liked some people have disliked polarizing stuff but yesterday we we saw a couple of films didn't we? We, saw, we saw three films yesterday actually um, so maybe we can sort of just go over the so maybe we can just have a chat about those I, I suppose that we should start really with with Kelly Reichardt because I, I talked about a lot about that on the first episode yeah. but what did you, you I mean I know you were really looking forward to it what did you make of it really loved it yeah and it was yeah one of the two films that I really wanted to see in terms of <clears throat> filmmakers that I knew that I you know kind of excited about their work and really didn't disappoint I thought it was beautiful and just yeah kind of when we sort of talked about it before he was sort of saying about you know where it sits in the competition and how assured it feels in terms of compared to maybe like the Hong Sang Su which yeah not which is equally assured I don't get me wrong but but there's obviously there's a Hong has a very kind of achievable sensibility that he's always kind of going you know kind of very prolific but 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 this felt like Kelly just being Kelly like I know Kelly being, <laughs> you make Kelly. Right, Kelly Reichardt being absolutely in control of the material and just I thought it was sweet and moving and really funny and really kind of political um, in the best way you know and I think all three of the films that we saw yesterday were really assured in terms of the social context that they were working in and and the, the Reichardt was just really really good on kind of how complicated capitalism is yeah. historically and contemporarily but also how it's connected to kind of basic human desire which we kind of know but when you sort of see 
see it in a in a film that kind of has a historical context, which you know, first cow is essentially how capitalism. It was um, it was funny actually. What, what what I thought of was you. I think a couple of episodes ago you said like she should be talked about in the on the same on a, on a par with like. Yeah, uh, Cohen Brothers or, or Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul Thomas and I was like, well, this is her. There will be blood. This is what this is her yeah, yeah, kind is, of American is. myth origin story, kind of like Meeks Cutoff, but 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 much more kind of direct about you know how an idea builds into what becomes this mach- monster machine of, yeah. of kind of capitalism, uh, really smartly without ever being yeah. didactic. Um, but it's not anti-capitalist per se, no. isn't it? It's it's very subtle because it's kind of like this is what people do to survive. They yeah. exchange whether yeah. it's labour or time, but within, even at the very origins of capitalism, there were still the people who had the capital yeah. and the people who want the capital and, and the ones who have it will do anything they can to suppress and exploit yeah. the ones who don't. You yeah, know? Yeah. And how you just want to get a rung above. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even other people, that's something that sort of comes in later, but just above where you are. Yeah. And how you can do that without, without being too, um, <clears throat> without harming people in any yeah. way. You know, it's very kind of singular. And it was just, yeah, it reminded me very much of Old Joy in terms of the dynamics of the friendship. Yeah, the friendship. Uh, yeah. And just this kind of this really, really interesting relationship between two men um, and their, their their friendship and partnership as it yeah. kind of grows. Um, but the film it kind of most called to mind was Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man. Right. Um, for me, nothing like it tonally or, you know, but both have Gary Farmer in, in kind of doing great kind of um, comedic roles. Uh, both have a William Blake connection and... Uh, and also really on the edges of the new west and you know kind of just the reality of building a town building a civilization building a, a system yeah. in a place you know that's got colonial aspects and it's got but it's just got kind of day-to-day mucky yeah. this is how we kind of do the the the, the existence kind of thing yeah. and they both felt very connected to that um yeah so the, I, I, I was i'd love to watch this in a double bill with with Dead Man, right? Um, yeah, loved it. And then in the Friedrichstadt Palace, which we're just over the road from now, um, which, which is an amazing. Just, yeah, which I'd never been in before. So, uh, what? Well, yeah, what it's incredible massive, space! Yeah, 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 incredible place to see a film. Yeah, particularly one like that, which is, yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. for for cinephiles to come and see one of the great directors' work premiering in Europe in this. Yeah, it felt like yeah, this is. This is how it should be done. And we yeah. sort of talked about, well, what, do you watch these films in these places? Because you know eventually you're going to see this one. Yeah. But then you're watching it and you're like, no, this yeah, is yeah. how I want to see this. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so then we... Uh, did, have we talked about Hong Sang Su on... We did, yeah, we did. We did yeah, yeah. yeah, we did it on the, um, the end of your... Uh, on the start of your one, we talked about it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, so we ordered... We, so we saw... That we talked about the Hong Sang Su, um, obviously, which we both loved. But then... Yesterday afternoon, we we saw the um, Eliza Hitman. That's right. Yeah. And that was um, called called. Let me get the let me get the title right. Uh, rarely. No. 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 Sorry. Let me do that again. Uh, never. Rarely. Sometimes. Always. Yeah. There we go. There you go. Um, which was an ex- you know an extremely raw, intimate, brutal portrayal of a young girl who goes through an abortion, and it's. In a way, that's kind of it, isn't it, it, really? (laughs) But I mean, obviously, there's a very clear kind of context and setting. So she's from a small American town and goes to an abortion clinic in in this town and 
that there's a, an illusion that they give her the wrong information. You yeah, know? and because it, it, well, it's not an abortion center, isn't it? No, it's no, a, it's, it's not. A, it's, it's a family, family center. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. There's that moment where they, they play her this god awful oh video. You know, yeah. and it's like obviously the, the woman. Truth, it's called, yeah, yeah. It? The woman there is is obviously very anti-abortion, and, and clearly that's the agenda of the place that she's in. Yeah. But anyway, she she decides that she does want to have an abortion, but they have to go to New York. And when she gets to New York, she discovers that she's not 10 weeks pregnant, she's 18 weeks pregnant. So, so anyway, the, 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 it's all around these obstacles yeah. that are in the way. And some of them are obvious procedural, um, social. And, but then weighing down on this is the, is the sort of portrayal of her relationships basically with, with patriarchal society, I suppose. Yeah. You know, it's not with yeah, individual yeah. men because, you know, we don't know who the father is, but it starts in the school and, yeah. and there's sort of these, these sort of social, there's this, this one moment where you can see there's, you know, there's the yes. sort of tensions between yeah, she's her and slut the Yeah, she's isn't she? Yeah, and, basically. And then kind of gets a small revenge in a, in a diner. Mm. And then is, yeah, is, is just trying to, trying to, to do this, to do this thing that she, she feels like she, she wants to and needs to do. Um, she's a 17 year old girl and her and her cousin kind of take this trip and it is about yeah how how hard it is to do that yeah. in America yeah but also kind of explicitly about just how hard it is to kind of do anything in the patriarchal yeah, yeah, society yeah. if you're a woman particularly a, a vulnerable woman and these yeah. are vulnerable women as well you know not I mean all women kind of have that um, that obstacle but this is very much about this huge thing that this person needs to do and can't. And there's no do. help. There's no help apart yeah. from well, apart when she, she gets to New York. York there is. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But, so but there's a little comment there about the sort of like differences you say, in America. What's interesting you know? is she gets there and there's the help, but then there's the then there's the fact of the matter. There's yeah. the medical procedure yeah. which has its own which causes its own problems because yeah, yeah, yeah. she needs to stay and it ends up staying two nights and they haven't got enough money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they weren't planning it. They'd had no idea. There's yeah, no help yeah. to. You know, there's no there's no support in Pennsylvania to. No. To go on that trip, yeah, you know, yeah, there's yeah. just no, there's no mechanism for it. And the the um, never, rarely, sometimes, always of the title is this multiple choice answer that she's got to give to the counsellor when yeah. she's in New York. And this this woman's a very nice woman, but clearly she's mandated to ask these questions. Yeah. And the, like many of the films I've seen at, at Berlin this year. There's a central sequence which is very key, yeah. which, which is this 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 counselor meeting that she has to have, and, and in that, you start to get a sense of the the gravity of her kind of like sexual history and the you know the, the sort of abuses that have gone on in that, yeah. and it's all through just the prism of these four questions, you know, yeah. or four four answers to the questions that are, that are coming. Yeah, and it's you know it's a young actress uh, who plays the lead character. Uh, her first film role and it's a one shot you know we just see her yeah. face and we hear the counsellor asking the questions and it's an extraordinary scene yeah it is um, because it tells you so much there's no answers but it tells you so much like you say it alludes to, to so much of her her history and, and her awakening to what her what she took as routine and she yeah, took yeah, as her yeah, life yeah. what it actually is and, and whether whether it's been buried or was not really yeah. she wasn't able to understand it or articulate it it, it, it kind of comes to the surface yeah, 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 yeah. and then you know, we were sort of talking about it at dinner last night and then after that sequence there's, there's two or three tiny tiny moments where the counsellor spends the procedure with her yeah. and she just does these tiny little je physical gestures um, that show that she's kind of 
just looking after her in a way that you can yeah. just tell she's never been looked after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and she's got a mum who kind of is worried about where she is, and, yeah. but has got three other kids and a deadbeat dad, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But there's this, these tiny gestures that was just absolutely devastating. And it, yeah, I thought the. Con- it was, again, another kind of filmmaker with an idea of what they wanted to do. Yeah. And I thought she accomplished it beautifully. Um, yeah, no, no. It's, <clears throat> and just on the gestures thing, because I think that that's the counterpoise of the movie in terms of formally. So there's th- these little gestures between the counsellor and her, as you rightly say. But then the way that the... Some, I mean, they, they, they encounter this... On the bus, they yeah. encounter this male, uh, this male character. And there's this one moment where they shoot... He, he kind of taps one of them on the shoulder yeah. and it's shot in close up on the hand tapping yeah. and it's just it evokes this sort of um, this sense of encroachment yeah, that yeah. is there from the, the male characters yeah. I mean there's no sympathetic men in this film at all you know we were discussing this uh, a little bit last night and, and, and whether you know it's absolutely in the service of what this movie is the fact that there is no there is no one I mean even the even the guy on the bus he's not a complete you know He's not completely horrible, but he's not. He's on the spectrum of being, you know, every male in this film is, yeah, he is has, horrible. Yeah, he has an agenda. Know? He wants to, yeah. you know, manipulate the situation for his own ends. He thinks he's just yeah. being, you know, charming and yeah, a bit yeah. forward in terms of, you know, That's this right. girl he meets, you know. But everything from the men is invasive. <clears throat> Absolutely. And yeah. then you have the counterpoise with that, with the, the yeah. women who are actually, you know, helping. Yeah. So it's that. It's and then there's that lovely gesture. There's yeah. another gesture as well, isn't it, towards the end where the girl who's going through the abortion kind yeah. of goes kind of finds her friend again who's kind of yeah, gone yeah, off to, yeah. to, to get some money to for sure, sure and then there's a lovely little gesture there where yeah. she, she meets her and you just you know it's full of those tiny things yeah, which yeah, feel yeah. really and there's the makeup scene as well there's sort of yeah, little moments lovely. of that yeah, yeah. So I mean and, and I mean we were just talking on the way over about this film has been picked up mm. and it's not an easy watch it's a hard watch um, and but you know we're Sometimes the, the the question of where the audience is mm. is, a, is a moot one because a films like this should have an audience. But again, it's not a sort of Saturday night movie. It's a very important, and it's got you know it's got a political agenda. Yeah. And I I don't know, you know how it's going to play in America, for example. I mean, you can you can see it's the kind of film that will be protested. You know what I mean? It's yeah. that kind of in certain areas. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. But and it was it was strange, wasn't it? We were in the um, we were in the press screening, and I, I said to you earlier, like when it came up, it was a Universal yeah. logo leader, you know, yeah, and, it's, yeah. and it's BBC Films. Yeah. So there's there's, there's heavyweight investment behind it. Yeah. And the Universal thing kind of surprised me. I was like, are they they're gonna where are they gonna put this? You know, yeah. Yeah. and are they gonna go out and and kind of get behind it in in places that is gonna is gonna cause a conversation? Yeah. Um, and it really should because it's it's such a it's such a you know, it's a film that is really—it's about something so obvious and simple, really. Yeah. You know, a woman's right to, to choose, a woman's right to do what she wants with her own body, and the inability to do that yeah, in yeah, America, yeah. Um, outside of New York, literally outside of you know, yeah. um, pretty much now. And it's so, yeah. Are they going to go out and and, and, and and have that conversation? Yeah. So I'm really, really interested to see where it goes. Where it yeah. goes, yeah, uh, yeah. and I hope that it finds an audience because I think that, and it's and it's great to see them saying actually, you know getting behind a, um, uh, a young woman filmmaker, yeah. you know, this is her third feature, um, and, and kind of putting that kind of weight behind her and saying this is an important piece of work. So, yeah, hopefully it'll, it'll have some kind of release, because it's, you sort of said, I never want to see it again, um, <laughs> but, you know, because it's, it is, it is it's so a gruelling yeah. watch, yeah. but it's, you know, it's really, really, really well made, yeah. um, you know, 
uh, and necessary. You know, it is a kind of necessary gruellingness in terms of. But 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 there's there's so much cinematic to admire in it as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't feel. Yeah, it doesn't feel like you're just being preached at. Um, the I mean, it'd be inter- really an interesting good. companion piece to the the assistant as mm. well. You know what I mean? Different sort of spectrums yeah, yeah. of that, and, and kind of shot similarly, I would say. Yeah. You know, a little bit. There are compar- yeah. maybe the the assistant was much kind of more clinical, yeah. whereas this is is sort of raw and handheld and stuff. But yeah, yeah. yeah inter- interesting. Yeah, exciting to see what happens there. Okay, so um, you have got now a few films that you're going to see. You've got some interviews to do. So uh, what what can people look forward to on this the rest of this episode? So they're going to hear a little bit about me talking about White Riot which is a documentary again about rock against racism in the late 70s which uh, I'm seeing today and uh, I'm writing that up for the quietus so that'll be uh, that's, a, that's a good one my music doc uh, hit of the festival will, will take place today a young British filmmaker as well so looking forward to, to seeing that and then the very divisive Siberia tonight yeah um, Ming Ling uh, hopefully the Sally Potter uh, Anne Fontaine's Night Shift uh, and then a King Vidor. They're the one of the, wow. this huge King Vidor retrospective, which I'm going to catch. And then, yeah, I've got an interview straight after here with uh, filmmaker Irene Gutierrez, who made this film Entre Lobo, Entre Pere e Lobo from Cuba, um, which is which I saw before the festival, which is really great. Um, so I'm going to, yeah, sort of meet her in a bit and chat. So, plus anyone I can. Grab. Grab, yeah. Stick a microphone in their face. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Will you be on the podcast? Uh, and now we know that everyone loves a podcast. Yes. No one is safe from my roaming mic. Yes. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, so there'll be lots of recollections and thoughts from different places. Brilliant. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks for, yeah, thanks for being good company, uh, sharing a great day, and yeah, look forward to catching up uh, when I'm back in Blighty. Cool. I see a spot. I guess my plug right there, right between the lily pads. And then sit, and I play the Lord. Make it dance. Make it look like something he wants, something he's hungry for, then bang! I find myself sitting on a window ledge down an alleyway, just over the road from Hansa Studios, the famous recording studios in Berlin where Bowie recorded his Berlin trilogy and uh, I'm looking at a picture of David as I uh, record this which is the first time I'm recording for the podcast since Dario left yesterday and uh, yeah it's been a it's been a strange 24 hours since then I mean, it's been a strange Berlinale for me in general it's come at a time when I'm extremely busy and stressed out and kind of confused at work some kind of strange personal issues going on in my life has left me kind of flailing around a lot to be honest with you and struggling with kind of managing a lot of things and working out what is what is important and what matters and I am always buoyed by the fact that the podcast is a is a kind of perennial source of of goodness and in my life and is yeah is really valuable and and worth looking at. There's some weird music coming from somewhere. I'm not sure where it is. Uh, some, yeah, maybe a gym nearby. So, yeah, it's um, but so, so yeah, Berlin has been interesting, and I've been more tired than normal um, at a, at a kind of festival. Uh, I don't always sleep very well at, at, at when I'm traveling uh, nowadays. But uh, yeah, it's been good. It's uh, I think as I kind of approach the last couple of films 
I don't think it's been the same. The same. Yeah, I don't want to say good because the quality of the films I've seen, I think, has been really strong. Um, I guess that there's nothing that stands out like Bait did last year, but obviously that was a a kind of unique uh, experience. Um, but nothing quite like the souvenir, I guess, from a British perspective. And uh, nothing like Amazing Grace so far, which was just a euphoric. And I don't like comparing and saying, oh, last year was better. But it is interesting to kind of take the temperature of the the films that you've seen and the kind of the vibe of the festival. And a lot of the films seem really good, solid, interesting. But there is a, a sense of slowness and a sense of taking time and a sense of deliberation that's kind of been in a lot of the films I've seen, uh, some of which I've covered with Dario and some of which I'll I'll kind of get to. One of those I saw this morning, which was the, the new Siming Liang, and then I met a friend for coffee, and he said, "Did you enjoy it?" And I said, "I'm not sure." Like, it, was it good? And actually, no. He said, "Was it good?" And I said, "I'm not sure because it's yeah, it's it's hard to say. It's a very dreamlike film. It's a very sad film. It's obviously beautifully composed because Siming Liang is a is a great filmmaker. But I don't know, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I'm gonna kind of do a fuller recap later on once it sat with me for a while I did come out feeling like I like I felt last year with the Angela Shanalek where it was clear from the walkouts and from the general tone that a lot of people had just dismissed it as slow you know kind of portentous whatever but I think that's to do it a disservice um, and I just enjoyed sitting in the uh, in the press conference afterwards listening to Simon Lang and Lee Kang Sheng his lead actor of many many years um, talk and uh, even though I couldn't understand what they were saying, because I didn't, I didn't take the translated headphones. I just thought it'd be nice to sit in the room with them and uh, just kind of soak up that that experience and and think about the relationship I have to to the films that the two of them have made over a number of years, and which which I've only come to to recently. So I'll talk a bit about the film a bit later on um, in a different section. The <laughs> last night I saw a film that could not be called kind of slow and quiet and anything else and that's uh abel ferrara's siberia which i absolutely loved and i don't know if i loved it because it was such a contrast to everything else or because all of the students that i came on the trip with uh, from falmouth university hated it <laughs> um and i like to be contrarian sometimes as a teacher but it was genuinely thrilling and messy and yeah it is self-indulgent it is pretentious but it's also very knowing and it does you know there are several sequences where it kind of takes the mick. And what was really enjoyable about it was kind of being reminded over the last couple of years, I've spent time with filmmakers like Nicholas Winding Refn and <coughs> and his archive project, but also kind of thinking about different types of cinema and remembering that Ferrara is a, is a singular voice and he likes to provoke and he likes to challenge himself within a film and also the audience. And this is a challenging film in many ways. But William Defoe is brilliant in it and playing a man on the edges of the earth and on the edges of sanity, kind of reckoning with his own humanity, his real past and a kind of imagined past, I think, as well, and a cultural past and all sorts of things going on. And, yeah, it's a stunning looking and really kind of confident film that, you know, asks a lot of the audience but uh, doesn't care if you're on board or not. And I think as well it was seeing Ferrara in competition, having known that he's had a quiet few years uh, in terms of releases that have gone under the radar somewhat. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Pasolini, the film he made uh, with the one of the films he made with the foe. But this this felt like, you know, as with the many of the films, and Dario and I have talked about this on Dario's episode, 
there has been a kind of interesting angle to the the competition where there's a real mix of filmmakers in there and there isn't a kind of set tone or a set style it's it's kind of anyone's game which i think is a bold move for a first year and hopefully they'll kind of keep that confidence up in coming years so yeah siberia i'd be interested to see if it makes an appearance there's loads of people just coming out of hansa studios over the road but uh no one famous that i recognize no one's trying to get the bowie vibe from there from that moment they might have just done a tour who knows um yeah so siberia was was interesting um and yeah i think for the end of this section i'm just going to lead into because another film that a lot of the students saw was irene gutierrez cuban film uh entre oh, i'm gonna <laughs> i've been trying to rehearse this for for days and then just so tired i just got it wrong entre pedo y lobo between dog and wolf which is the story of three cuban revolutionary soldiers who fought in the angolan conflict that uh, cuba supported in the uh, early 60s and kind of living in the jungle training in the jungle waiting in perpetual hope and need for the revolution to kind of reignite in terms of their skill set and uh, dario's hope i think dario's seen some of it he's going to watch all of it before we do our recap so i'll talk more about the film with him but it was a really i really liked the film and uh, students found it interesting and you know it's a very it's a very south american doc feature uh, doc narrative hybrid film and as listeners know i am kind of drawn to cuban cinema and i found it really really interesting i w had the pleasure of talking to the filmmaker irene gutierrez here at the festival and uh let's go to my interview now you're, you're pleased with how it went uh it yes for sure yeah. of course because uh the film um, the film was a project it was here in the dock station so i'm really pleased of this film festival to support the yeah. film from the beginning great mm -hmm. so uh, yeah thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast it's really nice to talk to you i saw the film last week and yeah i really loved it i think it's fantastic um i guess yeah just how I guess we'll start at the beginning, how the project started, um, how you came to this, the story of these men. Uh, well, I studied in a film school in San Antonio Los Baños, where all the teachers, uh, cookers, uh, uh, everyone in between 50 and 60 years old, they were in Angola's war. Mm. So it was a generation topic. And afterwards, uh, I wanted to to do a film in a jungle um, because I made my first uh, feature in uh, in Havana. So I want to change the cartography of the yeah. film and do something like a more uh, handle camera, like more documentary. So at the end, I I went to Sierra Maestra and I made a long research with uh, different uh, veterans and at the end I decided to work with uh, Estevita, Santana and uh, um, Miguel because for me it was like a perfect triangle uh, or triptych uh, um, they conform themselves this kind of uh, combination between body, mind and heart so this is strength but um, emotional but also this kind of um, mental thing so yeah. 
that was the idea to work with them and talk about the whole generation through them yeah. and their stories um, and the war memories and also to make it wider and talk about the, this feeling to belong to a common project which is bigger than yourself and than an individual and these feelings is still untouched yeah. they are in Sierra Maestra they feel like they belong to the revolution and they are ready to defend this idea or ideas even though that in in a kind of reality and a practical sense it, the world has moved away from those which I think the film captures what what do you do with the soldiers who fight on either side like for a revolution or like when when the actual fighting is done because these men are like you say so tied to it is that something that you kind of wanted to explore from the start or was that something that emerged from the process it both of them that's a good question because we have a, like a an, like a map kind of a sort of a screen right or like a, yes like a uh, Script. Script, yeah. And at the end, during the process, we have to walk, uh, climbing the mountain for two hours every day. So at the end, in, in between, uh, through the walking, we were talking about the way they want to be represented and the training they want to make in order to recover these war memories through the body and not through the words. So at the end, we prepare everything every single day and we improvise a lot, but... Uh, the device uh, was the trip of the journey yeah. and also this kind of uh, training without any end but in between that everything was improvising day by day even the the state of mind or the tiredness make uh, their its own uh, contribution to the film this is almost chronological yeah. editing yeah, edited. It yeah it feels natural yeah um, which well, adds to that sense of the journey but the journey has no end no which I thought it was, was just really a cinematic device yeah and it works i think it works really well could you talk a little bit about the though that how you well, you sort of mentioned it in terms of the relationships between the three but what what that experience was like of kind of spending so much time with these men and how how you sort of saw the film shaping as you were going and getting to know them better in the jungle i guess Oh, I met them a long time ago. So, um, and even some of the part of the crew, they are the um, the, the niece and the nephew. So okay. it was very close yeah, yeah. environment, and uh, they shared uh, the mission in Angola. So they they know each other so for a long time ago, since 30, uh, 30 years ago. So it was very easy for me to be with them and to to continue. Um, listening their stories uh, through the journey. So at the end, I make this research with a lot of interviews, but some of the interviews I want to keep them for the mm. film. So I re recover this kind of testimonies. And, and they are friends, so that's very easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are really good friends. So. It, it's obviously a very Cuban story, mm -hmm. but the way you or the decisions that you make to shoot it in the jungle with no, there's no Havana landmarks, there's no real Cuban landmarks, creates a sense that this could be anywhere in yeah. the world. Is that, that's obviously a deliberate thing. Um, um, was that deliberate at the start that you felt like that this, this was a story that had resonances outside of Cuba? Yes, the, the idea was to compare the Cuban jungle with Angola's mm, yeah. jungle, to be like uh, the jungle little by little 
through the film it becomes like a mental landscape that was the idea yeah. to even making this kind of uh, homage to the Cuban Sierra Maestra which is which means the starting point of the Cuban revolution but also on the other hand to make kind of um, a mental landscape could be anywhere because yeah. it's a state of mind and it could be any time as well yeah and what what I really loved about the film was how you use the score and the sound to to kind of create, it's, it feels very alien and very timeless where they are. You don't know whether they are actually in a real jungle or, like you say, a kind of psychological jungle. And it reminded me of very much, in a weird way, of Monos. Did you see Monos from last yes, year? Yes, because the sound designer is the same. Oh well, yeah, that, that <laughs> says a lot. But but that but almost kind of the, the the connection between the old men and the young, the young boys and the young girls, felt really really fascinating um, could you talk a little bit about working with your sound designer in the score because I thought that was such a strong cinematic part of the film uh, this collaboration with yeah. us, all of us yeah we met in 2003 and um, since then uh, we have made uh, we have collaborated together so we conceive uh, filmmaking as a big family otherwise we couldn't make these kind of yes. difficult things because it's, um, it took like six years and the other it took like uh, five, six years. So we always uh, have almost the same crew, some variations, and uh, we are very clear about uh, our reference, uh, references and um, about the way we want to, to have this cinematic approach through the cinematography and also through sound design design so yeah it's easy for us because we we have seen the same movies yeah. we have the same uh, references and even um, books and films and so it's it's kind of natural yeah. um, easy going way to make films what were some of the reference points that you had for this you know uh, heard of Darnex okay yeah, Jeff, yeah. Joseph Conrad uh, the first uh, and then uh, kind of um, uh, war films and also Soy Cuba. Um, is it hard to make? Is it hard to make films in Cuba without, you know, because uh, uh, memories of underdevelopment kind of comes up a lot and Soy Cuba comes up a lot. Is it? How do you feel about that? Those kind of films, you know, is it, is it just that you have to, you have to acknowledge them because they're so big, or is it, you know, how? Do you, what do they mean to you on a personal level? Well, Cuba is full of stories. Uh, it's a very, um, it's a place when you can find inspiration in every corner because people is living out from the out in the streets. The streets, the public space, because become a private space, so it's very easy to access. But on the other hand, um, we have the difficulties of the um, budget because you know we have just the film institute. And we don't have private uh, fundings or funds or institutions. So, and also the access, because um, Sierra Maestra is a military area. So we have to wait uh, for the access. Almost like almost not one year, but almost it was yeah. difficult. Yeah. Um, but uh, then when we have the access, we have everything, and and you know it's a unique country and. Um, and it was my first home sometimes I, I was living there for eight years so I love the island and yeah. its people <laughs> but it, but these are stories that, that still are very rarely told not just the um, 
the stories of the the soldiers of, in the revolution, but but the the countryside out outside of like the the, the towns and outside of the uh, you know musical stories, which is obviously the common go to. So, you know, is that what drew you back? Is kind of wanting to show the world another side of of, of a story that most people think they know or have a kind of you know a vague idea about. Yes, idea after Otarno Isla, my first feature was like uh, make another a very different um, approach to the island from the this uh, countryside um, because also because Havana is, is everyone knows Malecon everyone knows Capitolio uh, these cars and uh, but there is a spirit uh, in the countryside that you can feel that the revolution is still alive yeah. they are not in Havana anymore so I want uh, to portray this contract uh, contrast in between this um, um, feeling of the city to be like uh, in, a, in a, like another city or be in the countryside like a very Cuban way of living yeah. which is untouchable which is still alive and they belong to revolution and they defend the revolution yeah. so I wanted to portray this uh, spirit uh, with this being lost little by little and here we don't have that spirit anymore to yeah. to um, Put your individual uh, being in the, in a common um, collective uh, project. Yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. No, and it, it makes your film both amazingly powerful, but also sad. In, you know, like in terms of when you relate it to now, and you, you you can't imagine the bond that these men have and their commitment to this idea. Um, it's really striking, um, and I guess that comes out of the time that you've spent. With those characters and obviously the, the those stories, you mentioned it took you nearly a year to get access to the space. How long were you shooting for? Um, two months. Wow. In the jungle. Yeah. Yeah, two months. You feel that in a good way, like you feel <laughs> the time, and you know, and and the sense that this is a landscape that everyone is embedded in. You know, it doesn't feel like you were in there. Um, did it feel longer than two months? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And you know it's a uh, it's the end of one generation, mm. and um, it's kind of say goodbye to this film. It's like a nostalgic uh, approach to this generation, we see which is now getting old and it will disappear very soon. They are in their sixties, fifties, and they are also forgotten heroes. Yeah. And nobody knows here what happened in Angola's war, but this was very important because they call they they mission there the Cuban intervention in Angola means the liberation of Namibia, of Angola and the end of the apartheid. Yeah. So Mandela, when they when he uh, could get out from the prison, he went to visit Fidel Castro to say thank you because you are the only country, non-African country, who came here yeah. to help us. And, it's, and Cuba's a small island, they sent a lot of people, you know, that... Three, that yeah. uh, 38,000. Um, uh, yeah. 38,000 men. Amazing. Too much. Because the... Whole well, generation. Too, yeah, whole generation. But, but because of the, the belief in the ideal and, uh, and about the revolu revolution as a concept, not just... The realities of the Cuban Revolution, but the idea of of how countries should should revolt and should take control of their own situation. It's it's a, uh, an amazing story, and and that archive footage sits so well in terms of both 
the the memories of the men. I love the way you use it as their memories um, and the, a, a flashback without, but also the yeah the, the memories of a time and memories of an idea. It's really really beautifully done. Um, when when did you have access to that um, archive? Was that something that kind of formed the start of the project, or did it come later in the editing? No, no, we we. I was very clear about using archives because they uh, do have a lot of archives which, uh, which are unknown for the rest of the world. So they, they were shooting there. And even some of my teachers in the film school, they were making that kind of images in the, in the middle of the front. They were sound recorders, they were cinematographers, my teachers in the film school. So for me it was a kind of... Um, put everything there and say, okay, we have the stories, we have the pictures, we have the music, and we have also these archives, uh, which are which are unknown and inedit. Yeah. Um, the first one is a film of Jose Masip, a Cuban filmmaker, um, Angola, Victoria de una Esperanza, it's a documentary, I think, unknown for the rest of you, was just uh, premiere in Cuba and so, and the other is um, uh newsreels. Mm. Um, I I love I love archives. My last film was just archives. So that's a kind of um, fetish. Yeah. Yes, right. and also the idea of portraying picture things like uh, macho alpha, but from the weakness, yeah. also no the the doubts uh, and the feeling that they have to keep in going, but. Uh, Sometimes they are not clear, and that doesn't happen in the film of uh, we are yeah. clear enough, we are doing that. In this case, doubts and weakness yeah. is very important. Also. Yeah, the, the, the physicality is the sense of like we must maintain, yeah. because if we stop, we'll never get anything back. Exactly. You know, and it, 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 that's what that kind of mournful end of life, end of idea thing is. It, 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 there's a real physicality to the men, you know which makes you feel that maybe they are, maybe they know that it's not, but, but there's, there's a reason to do it physically. And there's a reason to go through the routine to, you know, to stay inside of it that is, is prolonging them. Because that's all they know, that's their life and it, it, it's, in, it's in their bodies and watching the, the training and how they help. Because it's, it's strange because at the start of the film, you're, you're, you know, you're like, well, why, why is he... Why is he telling him how to do it? He must know how. They must know how to do it because they, you know. And then you say, well, have they done it for so long? Is this a new thing? Because the time thing. But then you realise actually that it's they're constantly reminding, because they need to. They need to keep doing it. They need to stay alive physically in terms of being able to just to just stay alive together and moving forward in a kind of physical sense. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful. And those scenes with the, the intimacy between the men is just so so good. And great donkey performances as well. Yeah. Some great donkey performances. <laughs> yes, uh, they are great actors. I, yeah. I love to work with them. They have good faces and uh, these bodies. They are fifty-five years old mm. and they still are like that. And they are training and they feel like they are still young. And you know this kind of uh, Cuban way of uh, male thing. No? Yeah, yeah. Um, for the, it's very important to keep this uh, physical. Physi uh, physical thing like mm. they st still believe that they are strong enough that's something yeah as useful. well yeah but also you know what's you were talking about ideas that are um we're saying goodbye to there is also the this idea of a man and this idea of a masculinity which feels like you know is 
at least trying to be said goodbye to, and they are almost the last, the last image of a particular kind of man. You know, this very alpha, very physical, very stoic, um, dedicated to, you know, maintaining a, a weapon. You know, um, yeah. I suppose, yeah. Without sort of asking the the question of you know working, you know, how much of it was the masculinity kind of something that you were interested in, not just in a Cuban sense, but in a, a sense of these this this image of a man which feels of a different time. Yes, I I like the idea to portray this kind of um, masculinity. Uh, from the difficulties of being in this war as a man. Mm. For us, it's very difficult, for, for you also, because you are asked to make s certain things that we are not um, asking for, yeah. like uh, being in a war, or like uh, be always ready to defend mm. something, uh, in a, you know, aware. Mm. And um, so, I, for me, it's, uh, you have uh, to do a lot of things from from uh, and in, in just for being a man no in yeah, yeah. this world and that's not easy so yeah. I, I really appreciate that um, this masculinity thing is also a difficult way to be here and yeah. to respond to this uh, gender thing you know? yeah and it, 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 it one of the things that really struck me which I sort of mentioned earlier was this idea that you know they have been asked to be men yeah. in a way and now that they're just kind of ignored. They're just left because what 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 was asked before is not being asked now. But what do they do? They can't do anything else. It's you know, it's it's sad, but it's also kind of amazing to watch them maintain something that is never going to be called on. And even if there was a war, that it's unlikely that their generation would be called. Could they do the thing? You know, it, it's it's really fascinating. Yeah. So um, um, I guess that one of the things that kind of comes out of the film is that. Is there awareness of that? You know, was that something that you knew at the start that they were aware of, or did you sort of see by watching them do it that that, that was something that they sort of carried with them? Yes, and I, I have some stories of like Miguel. His his father was um, riding a horse. He was um, seventeen years old, and they say, "Father, I'm leaving. I have to go to Angola to to a mission, international mission." And his father, on the top of the horse, they say, "Okay, that's your, that's the thing you have to do for your homeland. So good luck. Yeah. No kiss, not embrace, nothing. On the top of the horse, they say, "Okay, do and uh, what you have to do for your country, yeah. and you have to demonstrate you are a man. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> that's all. Three years, one year and a half, no, two years. Yeah. So this is kind of thing of men, no? Yeah, no weakness, no kisses, no, no, no nothing. No, a very matter of fact. Yes. Passing it on, saying this is your duty. Yeah. yeah. And he was no beer. Yeah. You know, he's very young. He's yeah. 70 years old. Yeah, child still. A child, yeah. saying go there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned sort of earlier about the, uh, was it Berlin had, or the dock station had had yeah. kind of so, how important is it for filmmakers like yourself in terms of need, in terms of what festivals can do to support the making, but then also the, the release of the film, you know, is it, 
would it would anyone see the films if it wasn't for places like Berlin? Probably. Mm. I mean, this is very important for us. Uh, this kind of support for coming from film festivals, because as you know, the the movies we this kind of movies like Lautoral or whatever hybrid films is very difficult to sell. Yeah. So at the end, this is this is the um, the way of um, these films to be. Uh, seeing in the rest of the world just film festivals, you know, theatrical could be, but not. It's just film festivals, and and it was very important for me to be here with Doc Station because we have uh, like a plenty of mentors, just uh, cleaning up the projects. Yeah. Say no, this is forgotten heroes film. Don't be like no, the film is about the resistance. Yeah, okay, but it's forgotten heroes. <laughs> Clean up your mind. So because we want to include everything so here in Doc station you have to pitch the project in front of the people the people approach to you say i like the project please call to me when it's finished or i want to put some money yeah. it was very very important for us and it keeps you on track creatively you sort of saying there so that it doesn't become sprawling because the film is so focused it's got a real tight uh, idea which is so well delivered so yeah it's interesting to hear you sort of say that 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 comes out of the process of working with partners all around the world almost as well um, so yeah, wh wh where next? Like you know, wh what are you hoping? What are you hoping from this kind of festival journey with the film? Oh, uh, well, I don't know. Let's see. I want. Um, I am very curious about uh, the Cuban audience That's, for sure, yeah. and also we miss these uh, characters be here with us, but uh, we couldn't make it because of the bureaucracy and visas. So let's see. I, I want um, to know. Uh, what uh, opinion have these Cuban yeah. uh, people yeah. um, and also to see what happened with this film in Asia or whatever uh, and it is it's a very universal story about uh, this feeling of being of belonging to uh, this uh, revolution and this com collective project um, and now it's a moment to think about the next film yeah. <laughs> just before we talk about that um, and finish up what do you think the the reaction will be? Because you mentioned earlier that uh, you know this is a, a generation that's that's you know you're sort of saying goodbye to, but also maybe an idea as well outside. You know, um, do you think that do you think it will? How do you think people will take it? You know, do you have a do you have an idea or a sense of what people who might have already moved on from these kind of ideas will will get from it? I think that it's a good film for this generation. Maybe for young people, they say, ah, that's a nostalgic point of view. That's a very old way of thinking. Uh, revolution is, uh, is, uh, is dying. But uh, for me, it's a clear uh, letter of love of this generation. Um, they built up something important in, in our recent history. And yeah. um, that's my... Homage, 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 yeah, homage yeah, yeah, yeah. to them. And, uh, regarding the new generations, I don't know. I'm curious, yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, that's uh, I'm, I feel closer from this generation, yeah. four three. So great. Well, yeah, it's a it's a really beautiful film. Um, yeah, kind of gripping in its intimacy, and really, yeah, really loved it. Thank you so much for Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, my 
talking uh, just walked past some lovely Keith Haring uh, artwork uh, on what looked like they look like student accommodation but I don't want to presume uh, again kind of around Potsdamer Platz and yeah an interesting kind of artistic quarter uh, it's amazing how Berlin retains so many kind of traditional cultural areas despite massive regeneration and uh, if you're a, if you follow me on Instagram you'll be able to see I the Keith Haring artwork on the buildings that uh, I shared on there from my trip. So, yeah, I'm just kind of wandering around. I hope you enjoyed the Irene Gutierrez conversation. It was, yeah, a real pleasure to talk with her about Cuba and film and revolutionary politics and ideals and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully you got something out of that and hopefully the film will will come out. Last year at the festival I saw Baracoa, another kind of Cuban doc narrative hybrid that did really well at festivals and I think it's still doing really well at festivals. It hasn't had any kind of UK release despite popping up at Sh uh, Sheffield Dockfest, but uh, hopefully it will, will make an appearance at some point. And uh, yeah, we'll kind of flag that up if it does. And the same for Irene's film, uh, Entro Pero y Lobo, Between Dog and Wolf. So yeah, I guess I'm kind of doing a lot of these catch-ups all at the same time because I've been as I sort of mentioned before, in a strange headspace. So, and uh, sorry, just just noticing someone taking a picture of something. I can't tell what it is. He's on his haunches. It's uh, yeah. I've got no idea what he's taking a picture of. Um, but he's got he's got it in his mind. He knows what he's doing. So let's leave him to it. Um, yeah, another film to catch up on, which one I saw yesterday, which was uh, Rebecca Shah's documentary White Riot, which um, writing up for the Quietus after I record this catch-up. So I'll leave that, I'll leave that uh, kind of detail to, to my Quietus review, which I'll link in the show notes. But it's a, an account of the Rock Against Racism movement, which grew out of the kind of horrible, fascist, racist, um, homophobic uh, kind of climate of late 70s, Britain and uh, the rise of the National Front and this kind of cultural activist response in the form of Rock Against Racism, which was set up to kind of halt the National Front and how that resulted in kind of landmark uh, anti-racism uh, concert in Victoria Park, headlined by Tom the Tom Robinson Band and The Clash. And this is the story of the people who set up the movement, um, just ordinary folks who decided to do something and it's a really it's a really good story it does an amazing job of kind of showcasing the potential in a controlled response to you know of of people you know just kind of banding together and seeing something's wrong and, and wanting to make a difference it's 
notably made by a non-white filmmaker in, in many ways. One is that the uh, one is that the um, the the white people who set up Rock Against Racism are not they're not presented as heroes. Neither do they present themselves as heroes, or does the film make them out to be heroes? It's it's you know a kind of subtle nonsense, unsentimental. This is the right thing to do, and we did it kind of approach and also because it, it introduces or reintroduces I should say a very vital voice which is the British Asian voice from that time the British Asian community was you know horrifically targeted for racist attacks by the National Front um, alongside the black communities but the cultural history suggests that because of punk and reggae it was a kind of black and white issue and that, that kind of British Asians were not necessarily part of it because of the music and there's a great band called Alienation featured in the film who I'd never heard of and a kind of you know a good reminder of of just how widespread that kind of hate was uh, and, and 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 continues to be and what's really notable about the film as well is it's not a patronizing you know wake up and do this now kind of thing it it leaves a lot of the contemporary resonances in the audience's mind just by hoping that they'll see the connection between those times and these times what was most was notable as well was that the the activism was a was a labor it was a physical act that had to be done and time and and labor had to be kind of spent you know you had to go to gigs you had to write letters you had to put these amazing zines together there was there was a solidarity in groups doing that but also a time spent actually physically writing letters and posting them and then the correspondence that, that went back and forth that is very much lost in this kind of immediate uh, immediate world we live in now that that felt very different and, and kind of something that almost felt maybe it's just a nostalgic idea that it worked but that that you kind of you need more than just being able to click and send a quick a quick email off here and there you know that there has to be some kind of labor involved to to kind of really get get momentum uh, in a movement which was which was really interesting and then the archive footage of the the Lewisham riots and also the Lewisham protests and uh, things like that was was stunning and a reminder that so much now is not in terms of racism and hate is not is not on the streets it's it's uh, it's behind screens and you don't always know who the people are in your neighborhood that are you know full of hate uh, and targeting people mercilessly so lots of lots of really great stuff in it um as a music documentary it's okay you know it ticks a lot of the contemporary uh, boxes of music documentaries in terms of its form but uh, it uh, it does a good job and it's a very very powerful story well told so Again, that should that should see some kind of release, probably on TV, I would guess, but uh, well worth checking out as and when it arrives. So that'll be it for this little uh, check up. One of the the other interview that I've done uh, so far, and most likely the only one I'll get to do now. Uh, I've really scaled back my my interviews this year, if, if you haven't noticed. Uh, so you got more of me, I'm afraid. Um, is with uh, one of the people I spoke to last year and. Uh, uh, becoming a good friend of mine, Neil Young, critic, uh, British critic who's based in, in Vienna. He uh, kind of comes here every year. So this was us catching up about um, uh, what Neil's seen and his kind of thoughts on the festival. And then there's a couple of interruptions which will nicely lead me into the review that I'll give at the start of the next section. So I hope you enjoy this chat between two Neils. Hello, Neil. Hello, Neil. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. It's lovely uh -huh. to see you in Berlin again. With the, in this torrential downpour that's engulfing the festival and turning it into a 
underwater paradise. But today was really nice, or are you just still reading no, from today's Undine? pouring was rain. You've been, you've been in the cinema for too long. Today was, again, a heavy downpour. Was it? So, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It is, the, the gods are telling us that Christian Petzold is, is heading towards the, the golden fish, if not the golden bear. Well, yeah, that's what I wanted to get the scoop on. Um, the... Uh, well, yeah, it's no different to Cornwall, which has been raining incessantly for, and England, which has been raining incessantly for what feels like forever uh, since the Brexit vote. But it's good. For, it's good for the box office. It uh, is. We, we hope yep. that uh, people are, you know, fleeing from their waterlogged residences to find uh, shelter. But here we are in an underground cinema. We are. So this so is going to be the first one that fills up if uh, if the deluge comes. That's true. The Kino so Arsenal. Do that thing where you're supposed to touch the floor. Or is that fire? Squelch, squelch, it's, squelch. It's fire. Okay. Um, you've just come out. I've just literally seen you walk, leave a cinema what have you just seen uh, I just saw Ostia which is a film from the 1971 forum retrospective okay. uh, which is uh, directed by uh, Chita but is um, a big project which heavily involved uh, Pier Paolo Pasolini okay. and since Pasolini soon afterwards a couple of years later died in Ostia it has a certain uh, you know, macabre and ironic uh, aspect to it. Okay, so, nice. uh, so yeah it was, I try, I'm trying to balance the new and the old at this festival yeah that's something that I have always said I do and fail, but I am going to catch a, a V-door on Friday before I leave. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, there's a, it's, a, it's a very big retrospective of King yeah. V-door because he had a, a very long and, and eclectic and very busy uh, filmography until <laughs> 1959 when it had ground to a halt and he kept going for it. He, still, he was still alive for 30 odd years yeah. after that, but uh, Hollywood is a cruel cruel employer and she, he couldn't get the money to do it so he taught actually in the, in the later part of his career and then he also acted in James Toback's uh, Love and Money and, uh, oh, yeah, you posted of, something from that didn't yeah, you on the, was, yeah, which was, was very much a kind of mentor figure to younger filmmakers so the, so the V-Door an hour long discussion after so I'll see you after okay great we're just in the, okay we're just in the middle of an interview so okay we can, we, can, we can take Outrageous. it out. We can take it out. Outrageous. Yeah, the, the clue was the was the microphone, but uh, it's fine. It's, Don't worry. That's okay. It's all right. That was that was our, that was our friend Hillary Clinton, who's just uh, yeah. just walked past us there. So <laughs> she's mortified now. It's fine. <laughs> it's Don't worry. It's all right. <laughs> so we'll start again from the beginning. Uh, <laughs> uh, lovely. Yeah. So a nice notification yeah. that there's an hour-long discussion after. What screening is that? I have absolutely no idea. Okay. <laughs> so, good to know. So, yeah. Um, and yeah. So where were we? Rainy we were weather. talking about King Vidor. Uh, King Vidor, yes. And, his, uh, and uh, yeah. yeah, last night uh, in the um, King Vidor retrospective, I watched uh, Stella Dallas mm -hmm. with Barbara Stanwyck, followed by Beyond the Forest with Betty Davis. So nice. And, uh, and both of them on 35 millimeter and good audiences. And uh, yeah, what a what a what a wonderful cinematic evening. But of course, I also missed the huge excitement of the new film Siberia, which uh, had the premiere and the party and the press conference, which sounds like it was like the event of the Berlin. Oh. Abel yeah. Ferrara, after all these years, is still able to burn with the fire of provocation. Which, um, yeah, and I kind of, I was, I had Undine on my list for tomorrow, uh, but I've swapped it out for Siberia, so I'm going to yeah. see Siberia. Definitely, you know, the, the festival has taken a little while to, to catch fire, but it seems as though Abel Ferrara has, mm. has ignited something with his uh, apparently deeply personal and deeply bizarre. It's been described as his, his version of Tarkovsky's Mirror meets his version of uh, Malik's The Tree of Life. Okay. Which, given given um, Malik, uh, given the sort of you know private lives of those three individuals, to navigate the subconscious of Abel Ferrara, I think is going to be a bit spicier than that of Tarkovsky yeah. and Malik. With no disrespect to those no. eminent uh, individuals. Yeah, I've I've recommended it to my students, and now I'm wondering whether I. Uh, you you will be had up in the court for corruption of minors. <laughs> Good. Well, in yeah, in the, in a cinematic <laughs> sense at least. Before the beak. Um, so yeah. Uh, you said you've seen one. Is that the Undine? Is that uh, the only seen? film I've seen in the is Undine by uh, Christian Petzold, uh, which 
you know, one of the... Are you a Pet Song fan? Uh, yeah, I mean, he has become a friend over the years, so oh, okay. I, I, it's not a film that I can really write about. Um, I, I wasn't the world's biggest fan of Transit, which was his last film, which everybody... I really think, was, yeah. I've everybody seemed to think it was a career peak, and of course I mm. was like, uh, you know, it's more like a Nadir. <laughs> but uh, for me, he's bounced back a bit from that. But okay. for, for others, it might be that he's... Uh, you know, retreated because Transit was a bit more experimental. But he's working again with Paula Beer and Franz Rogowski, who yeah. is current actors of choice, and always a fascinating filmmaker. And as a film about Berlin, I thought it was particularly interesting because there's a there's a very heavy Berlin urban planning element to this so film. I've heard. Yeah, so very on, on, on the one level, you have this um, you know supernatural, underwater, mysterious, romantic thing going on, and on the other hand, you have this very, very, um, in a way, uh, austere or, or, or you know sort of um, intellectual mm. approach to how Berlin has evolved as a city. Berlin was swamps and marshes. So again, I'm not, I don't want to give too much away in the film, but you know, the fact that there's a, this aspect of water sprites and yeah, things yeah. emerging from the water. If you've seen the Neil Jordan film, Ondine, with uh, Colin Farrell, Indeed. and of course there is, actually, there is a whole subgenre of German films about this Undine, okay. Undine myth, which this film is mm. dialoguing with. And of course, not having seen any of those, I am uh, slightly at sea, shall we say. Indeed. Loving the water metaphors. Oh, yeah. Uh, how are you feeling about the new Simon Ling? Because Stray Dogs was high on your favourites of the decade. Uh, yeah, it was my actual my actual number one favourite of the yeah. entire decade. And uh, I was just thinking, you know, a jury in Venice decided to give the uh, Golden uh, Lion to Sacro Gras by Francesco Rosi, uh, Gianfranco Rosi, which, you know, is a nice film, but mm. I would say it's been was rather dwarfed by, by Stray Dogs. Yeah. yeah, I mean, of course, Simon Liang announced his retirement in a sort of semi-joking... Ken Loachy, I'm not really retired sort of way, and has kept making films since then. This film's two hours and seven minutes reportedly without dialogue. And he has been making sort of filmic things in the last yeah. few years. So I think this is much more of a um, much more of a um, experimental approach rather than necessarily a full-blown uh, sort of uh, feature film. So we might pause just for one second. No problem. Hello. Nice James. to meet you, James. Hello. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, you are in uh, you're in high demand. Uh, <laughs> what can I say? Hillary Clinton followed by James Bennett. Indeed. You know, indeed. So. Um, uh, so yes. Hillary and Maggie. Uh, where were we? We were at to, uh, to uh, yes, Simon Liang. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with of course his actor and muse uh, Li Kang Sheng in one of the leading roles. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. But for me, I, I took Stray Dogs as his basically his farewell to cinema. Yeah. And he's an artist who wants to continue expressing himself. So when I go and see a Tsai Ming Liang film now, I'm not like, oh, oh, maybe it's going to be like Stray Dogs no, or as good as Stray yeah, Dogs. Yeah. As I say, if you make Stray Dogs, you can go off and be a, a fish and chip man for the rest of your life. Nothing wrong yeah. with being a fish and chip man, but it's like, you know, what more do we want from him yeah. after Stray Dogs? And the fact that he's still giving us things, what, no matter what they turn out to be, I think I think we should be grateful for that. Absolutely, yeah. That's kind of exactly how I felt with the, uh, the fact of, you know, the chance to see something on the big screen you know, at a, in a kind of festival setting was, was what was exciting regardless of what it is because, you know, kind of, it came to him quite late so kind of missed all those, all those kind of opportunities. And I did actually speak to somebody who has seen it and, and they were actually saying it is, it is very, very good. Great. So, but as I say, hopefully he's trying something new because the whole point, you know, he's a director in his 60s now yeah. and, we, and Ferrara, you know, who would have thought that Ferrara would unleash a, you know, phantasmagoric uh, exploration of the human soul. So 
what, what are film festivals for if not to give filmmakers support to go in new directions? And as I say, Petzold going romantic supernatural, again, he's in his 60s. This, the, the 60s are the, are the new yeah, 20s, yeah. you know, yeah. so this is the... Which is exciting for us as we uh, are closer well, to that. Hopefully we'll get there, you know, and, and then Manuel de Oliveira shows us we've got another 40 years after that. So, Absolutely. You know. um, well, that seems like a nice place to win. I was going to ask you about the odds, um, because uh, always fascinated, even when I'm not at a festival, to follow you tracking uh, is that just a kind of thing that you enjoy in terms of getting not through the festival but kind of adding a, a different layer that's not it's nothing to do with actually seeing the films well yeah and also you know people talk about this is a front runner this is a, this has a chance this is an outsider but you know odds are actually numerical probabilities and yeah. it's and it's all you know percentages and things like that so i like to sort of take that approach and sort of try to second guess the jury try to sort of look at look at the history of the festival look at all the possible things that might happen but you know juries are very strange beasts and they can pull strange surprises, especially at Venice. Berlin, maybe not so much. So here, are my favourite since the since the accomplishment announced was Kelly Reichert's first cow, which on the one hand people say, oh, it won't win because it premiered months ago at other festival. Yeah. I don't think Jeremy Irons is going to be bothered about that. <laughs> and, and on the other hand, you know, Kelly Reichert, who's a, again a director in her, in her late fifties, she's at that point in her career, and everybody loves the film. Yeah. So yeah. that's the thing that you've got to look for a thing that's going to appeal to a wide range of jury. Um, but as I say, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to be stunned by something unexpected coming from right. the sidelines, which is what you want. But at the moment, yeah, Kelly Reichert, I think the cow, the bear, will go to the cow. Great, lovely to see you as always. Thank you, Neil. See you soon. Good to see you at the pictures. Back in the hotel now. I have just filed my review for the Quietus of uh, White Riot. So. Yeah, that was uh, that was a fun one to write up. Hope you liked the chat there with Neil. It's always nice to catch up with with Neil when uh, I'm away, in, particularly in Berlin. It's weird saying Neil, isn't it? Because I'm called Neil, um, so uh, t'other Neil is always is always good value. So hopefully you enjoyed that little little chat about uh, what he's been up to and his thoughts on things. And you may have noticed there that we were interrupted a couple of times, and I did say that they would be uh, kind of relevant to the the next recollection I wanted to do. So the uh, the first interruption was um, Kevin James Emerson's uh, producer. He's a filmmaker that I've really got into recently thanks to Mubi and a piece that I read in Sight and Sound. And yeah, really kind of fascinating documentary filmmaker. And I met him briefly uh, after the chat with Neil. And uh, yeah, kind of he was there presenting his film that was about to about to screen in, in, in the, in the programme that... Uh, that the, his producer, who who Neil knows, and, and and Neil knows Kevin as well, was kind of saying uh, about um, the the long Q and A and that. So it was nice to meet him. That was a, a nice little moment. And the other interruption was a filmmaker called James Benning, whose film Maggie's Farm was premiering here in Berlin. And he was a, a filmmaker I also kind of heard about recently when reading a piece in in Sight and Sound. So his name popping up in the program kind of made me think, oh, I'll check that out. So this was my. Maggie's Farm is my first uh, James Benning film, and it's a documentary, uh, ostensibly, um, 24 shots of kind of fragments of Cal Arts, which is where he's been a professor for a long time. And the film is apparently, according to Neil, his quasi resignation letter. Basically, he's kind of stepping down and, and kind of leaving Cal Arts. And it's, yeah, a kind of meditation on space and place. The first third of the film is entirely outside, kind of logs and greenery and trees and and fields. And then the second kind of, the second section moves inside. 
corners of doors and walls and lights and uh, there's a strange um, I don't know what this says about universities but a kind of long sequence of a, of a waste bin just in the frame and uh, then the third section of the film is uh, kind of inside and outside kind of man versus man meets nature not versus but meets nature so back outside but but kind of corners of buildings and walls and doors and kind of aspects of of the man-made kind of in, in relationship with with the nature the, the the natural world that uh cal arts kind of occupies and i watched it as a screener in my office at falmouth university a week ago today and it was yeah kind of really contemplative and meditative experience watching a very measured very composed very quiet film in uh in in of an arts facility an arts education institution in an arts education institution thinking about my own job thinking about my work thinking about filmmaking thinking about teaching thinking about the spaces that that we do those things in and the idea of of the university and what it is to to teach art and in you know in any in any place and uh, yeah so it was a fascinating film that made me think a lot about my own life hard to judge it as a film because I've not seen any of his other work and it's a very you know it's a very specific type of filmmaking and uh, yeah according to according to Neil and some others like the 16 mil work that he did that he's kind of most famous for is is where to start so um, I might kind of head back there so if anyone's got any other James Benning uh, kind of favourites then let me know and I'll, I'll kind of uh, keep them in mind for for when they pop up in different places um, not a filmmaker I guess I'll be rushing out to see but but definitely glad that I've had an experience of his work having read about it recently so that was Maggie's Farm which was uh, yeah one of the screeners I saw before the festival along with uh, Irene's film which you've heard the interview from and which uh, I'll talk to Dario about in uh, the final section of the the podcast so yeah this is this is uh thursday afternoon i am heading out for dinner and then heading to see anne fontaine's night shift uh which i know very little about but i like the still and uh, like that it was called night shift and then brackets police and uh yeah i'm trying to see as many films by female filmmakers as possible as always at, at this festival so yeah I, I look forward to that and i will kind of <coughs> And I will update you on on my thoughts on that, along with the the Siming Liang, which has been kind of growing in my mind since I saw it. I'm really, yeah, really thinking about it a lot um, and uh, excited to, to kind of share thoughts on that. So I'll do that tomorrow morning in what will be the last missive from Berlin before I head home tomorrow evening after seeing a King Vidor silent film, The Sky Pilot, which I'll talk about with Dario when when I'm back in England and we're wrapping up this episode. So, yeah, thanks for listening and I'll uh, speak to you soon. Putain, mais qu'est-ce qu'il faut Ouais, ça suffit maintenant, va ton fil. On te laisse partir, on dira rien. On dira rien. Attends, tiens, prends, là, voilà. No, man. Okay, pars. No, no, man. Allez, va-t'en, 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 casse-toi, casse-toi. Allez, 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 allez. Allez, casse-toi. Non, mais, c'est pas Go. Voilà. Non, man, non, man. It's Friday morning, it's 
the last day. I travel back to the UK tonight and I'm just wandering around really before my last screening of the day. I'm sat on a bench in Tiergarten in the park uh, overlooking the Japanese embassy and just taking a break really to sit. It's lovely and fresh and yeah, just wanted to kind of catch up with my thoughts on the films from yesterday. So yesterday I saw Sai Ming Liang's new film, Rizzi, which translates as Days, and I saw Anne Fontaine's Night Shift, uh, or Police, depending on where you where you see. And yeah, it was a strange it was strange in the sense that both films had massage scenes that were very key to the kind of emotional gateway we'll say to, to the characters. Um quite different but uh but it was odd to kind of start the day at nine AM with a massage scene and to end it about nine PM with a massage scene. So yeah, that was a notable theme. I wonder how many other massages have appeared in movies at this year's Berlinale. I guess we'll never know. Um well we might know. I'm sure it's quite easily to be quite easy to do that actually. Uh, you just have to watch all the films. And yeah, so I'll start with Night Shift, which was really was it was it was good. It was a solid movie. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's fine, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was it's the story of three police officers who you kind of get a little bit of insight into their lives, and they are tasked with taking a uh, detainee to the airport after a fire in a detention center. So it's a, a character who's being sent back to Tajikistan, and it becomes clear that well not clear but the the sense emerges that he's not really done anything wrong and it'll you know he'll be killed if he goes home and then it's the kind of the moral quandary at the heart of these three very different police officers and it's uh it's a film that does a lot of things well but a few things quite clunky uh, some of the writing particularly as the film goes on is really good you know there's some of the way it subverts the the characteristics it sets up in the early part are interestingly played out. Um, uh, it just it never <coughs> it never really marries its politics and its plot. You know, it's kind of going for a procedural drama. You know, kind of good solid genre movie, but also there's a lot of politics at play about France because uh, it's a French movie. Sorry, about the police force, about immigration and lots of other things there's there's a lot going on in the film and it never quite satisfies in terms of a resolution of, of, of kind of of coherence at the end but yeah really enjoyed I was worried because I was quite tired and uh, as uh, as I've been saying quite a lot you know it's been a, a strange week so I was a bit apprehensive about not making it through but yeah the film is the film is really good I wonder I wonder what kind of release it'll have I didn't know that I was only when I was on Letterboxd I realised that Anne Fontaine has made kind of 18 movies so she's you know an established director here in France and uh, this was a uh, an interesting movie the performances are really good the three main performances are really really strong and uh, particularly Omar Sy stands out uh, yeah that was that was Night Shift and yeah so uh, Rizzi what's been really interesting is thinking about film watching and coming to film festivals and how I see films and where and this idea of the festival bubble and lots of things kind of percolating because it's part of me wonders if I'm just 
if I just love it because I love his films and the thrill of knowing that he was back after announcing his retirement after Stray Dogs is is just so exciting that I can't can't see past that whether it's the bubble of of you know being at one of the world's major film festivals and having the privilege of a press screening and seeing it so gloriously presented that again is swaying me towards thinking it's amazing I don't know and I and I think back to last year and how many of those films that I saw at Berlin I loved and then sort of ended up in my my kind of recollections at the end of the year as, as some of my favorites of the year and and all of them did you know it was I think it was a really strong year last year and I wonder if the same will be said this year but certainly two or three things I've seen I think will will stay with me maybe not as many as last year but days was funny because it, it was a really dreamlike experience it's incredibly quiet incredibly slow low-key is a word that's come up a lot um, sometimes in the negative but but I don't ever see it as a negative necessarily and certainly not when a film is intending to be low-key and quiet and contemplative and this is a even for Simon Yang it's very very contemplative it's there's hardly any dialogue there's two or three lines of mumbled dialogue that are unsubtitled and you're just spending time with two men watching them live out their lives and then they intersect and they drift away again and it's astonishingly beautifully shot <laughs> like it is absolutely gorgeous to look at but mostly because of Li Kang Sheng as well so Sai's long time collaborator as a leading man is just phenomenal and I don't think anybody encapsulates sadness the way he does as an actor I was talking to some of the students because they'd seen it yesterday and were perplexed by it is the kind way of, of talking about it most of them absolutely hated the film because they've never seen anything like it I don't think and we talked really kind of constructively about what a film festival can do in terms of introducing you to different types of cinema and I you know I sort of said that that what you're not watching someone act sad so over the, the opening shot is, is, is on Lee Kang Sheng in his apartment staring out of a window and it holds for what feels like an eternity but you're not watching him act sad you're watching sadness and you're watching this the being kind of emit sadness and no one does it quite like Li Kang Sheng and it's it's excruciating and it's beautiful and it's hard to see someone so so sad and so lonely and then the film is just one of the most aching films about loneliness I think I've ever seen and I didn't know how I felt about it after I'd seen it I, I knew I'd liked it but I didn't know how to feel about it and then as the day progressed it just it just kept flooding back to me in waves of emotion and just the overwhelming sadness of the story of of these two men one younger one older and how <laughs> how how lonely life can be um, even surrounded by many people even having contact with other people how lonely it can be and how utterly heartbreaking and kind of destructive that can be and there's the the payoff of the last sort of 20 minutes is I just found it extraordinary to kind of and I can't get the images out of my head of Li Kang Sheng's, Kang Sheng's character and there's a kind of parallel shot from, that echoes the beginning of the movie uh, which is heartbreaking and then there's when he meets the the younger man um, he gives him a gift and then the final, the final scene is the younger man 
with the gift and it's just it's just found, I just found it overwhelming and there's moments in the film where it's not slow and the edits are quite quicker and particularly one amazing cut um, which just kind of reminds you that you're you are with someone who is not just plonking a camera down and letting things happen like there's a real method to what Sai wants to show where he wants the camera to be how you engage with the characters in terms of their position in the frame and in terms of how long those shots are and you really feel the construction and it's it's a guiding hand saying it's it's okay you know this is this is meant to be like this it's meaningful and we're going to get somewhere you know really poignant and remembering that Simon Liang is you know had had retired from kind of feature filmmaking there was a sense of why has he come back and I talked about this earlier you heard it earlier on the episode with with Neil Young like you know after Stray Dogs where is there to go and this feels really personal it felt like a story that was maybe inside him that he had to tell and I don't think again if that's just the hyperbole of the moment with me but it definitely felt like this was something that he needed to to address and to say and to confront um, in this film and I just it's the more I think about it the more overwhelming it is um, yeah and yeah and absolutely it was a privilege to be in the room with the film and then to be in the room with him afterwards at the press conference and just it's a filmmaker that really means a lot to me and particularly at a time when you know I am struggling to to kind of deal on a day-to-day -day basis with things and to process a lot of stuff that's kind of going on in my professional and personal life the honor of of being presented that work in that way and being you know allowed to spend time with it and, and, and ponder it is is kind of huge and I've really I really feel overwhelmed by it and I think it's a film that is going to stay with me for a long long time and I'm glad that he came back and made it um, yeah so I think yeah just there's more talk there again of like my my kind of processing of things at the moment and uh, it's my episode I think has been very different to Dario's there's much less kind of engagement with other people I have found it quite difficult this week to to engage you know to be social to to kind of get out and do the work that I did last year on the po podcast and that Dario did so well in the first episode and kind of get people's opinions and stuff I've I've needed to to see people that I, I know quite well and just hang out with them and I feel very grateful for the kindness of people this week that I've met and the times I've spent with them you know without a microphone um it's felt very very beneficial um not great for podcast obviously when I'm just out hanging out but uh, hopefully you'll appreciate these little bits and yeah uh, I appreciate your kindness in listening to the podcast and and sort of sending such positive responses as you do so thank you for listening um not that this is the end but yeah this is the end of this bit so I'm going to keep going on my walk to Potsdamer Platz where my last film is The Sky Pilot a late silent film by King Vidor which is a retrospective here and that'll be my last film before heading home so yeah hope to hope to catch you soon just going to check my notebook I've had it on my lap and then haven't checked it is there anything I want to say about Rizzy that I have not said nothing that I won't probably bring up with Dario okay alright that'll do for now I will catch you on the other side
Okay, so that is it for our Berlinale specials you saw. Because obviously you'd seen First Cow, which was the big talk, and you didn't see the pet sold, but then there were there were other movies that it looked like were the, the talk of of the festival. How did you think how do you think it went generally? I thought it was a good, solid festival. I was talking to um Jason Wood and, and Mark Cosgrove I saw at different points about it, and obviously they're coming from an exhibitor's uh, uh, point of view. Um, and last year it felt so extraordinary with bait, but also things like the souvenir. Um, it didn't feel like there was necessarily, well, that's just a British thing, uh, a spectacular uh, a festival. You know, you had the final film by Varda last year. It just, I didn't see a bad film. I didn't see a film that I didn't like. Um, but within that, there was probably only two that really you know, I, I thought were kind of extraordinary. And that was First Cow and uh, Days, Rizzy, the uh, the Siming Liang, which the more I think about it, the more I just think is a stone-cold masterpiece. Um, uh, it's really haunting, like really, really deeply affecting. So, and, and the rest were good. Like, I love the Hong Sang Su, but, you know, yeah, it's just a really, really good movie. And the rest were good. It was nice to see Siberia in the end because that became a very divisive film. So what did you make of that in terms of, you know, people really just like getting a bit annoyed about it and slagging it off big time, you know? I don't know how much of that is a lack of awareness of Abel Ferrara, you know, not to assume they haven't. But, you know, I've stopped assuming that people know the, the filmographies of filmmakers now, you know, and that they've seen Driller Killer and Bad Lieutenant, you know. And if you've seen those films, it's, yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's no surprise. Or whether part of it is... Uh, an understandable kind of tiredness of male auteurs, you know, yeah, yeah going kind off of just one. being self-indulgent <laughs> and pretentious and, you know, random and messy and stuff like that. And, and both of those things I think are, are kind of valid if, 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 if that's, if those are your entry points, but I think that there was, yeah, there was a lot to admire in it. I think some of it was particularly beautiful and some of it was taking the Mickey, as I sort of said, um, but it, it felt like anything else. It didn't feel like anything else, certainly, that I saw in the competition and that okay. felt like was around the programme, you know, something that was really out there. And I do think it was great to see it in a in a programme that also had Hong Sang-soo, Simon Liang, Kelly Reichardt, Eliza Hitman, you know, like, I think that mix was really, really striking and it certainly deserved to be there, I thought. Um, and definitely the, the most interesting film he's made alongside Pasolini in the last 10 years, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I liked Pasolini, actually. I mean, you know, some people didn't, but... Yeah, and, and sort of Bad Lieutenant is, you know, is just a, an, a, you know, an incredible experience in, in, in many ways, which you could easily just really hate. And, you know, it's like... And I've said it to you a million times before. It's like, I, lo I love the idea that I'm the last person in a cinema that everybody else has walked out of. You know what I mean? I think that, the you know, the idea of sort of watching films that are kind of you know, mediocre, passable. You know, we watch enough of those as it is. So something that really polarizes is is great. And even yeah. with the, I mean, I do get that sense though that it was a similar thing maybe with the Gorel and definitely you know with what happened last night at the Caesars with the with the uh, Rum Polanski issue. If you want to call yeah, it yeah. that? Um, that there is this sense that just the white male auteur just doing whatever they want and nobody asks any questions anymore is, is over. And that's, I think that's totally fine. 
You know what I mean? That that, that that's the sort of why. Do, I mean, you know, with the gorilla as well. It's what why does why is it in competition? Why does he just get to make that same film over and over again? But then yeah, yeah. when something comes out that you think, for example, with Abel Ferrara, that actually there is something in this, then then that's fine as well. Still, you know, I mean, I know. Yeah, sorry, I know Polanski that, yeah. is a different kettle no. of fish. You know, which we all know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, disclaimer. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that there are things that don't hit the mark and there are things that, yeah, kind of didn't like. But I don't think you could argue that he's not doing, not continuing a kind of a vein of, of kind of autobiographical searching, philosophical searching uh, in the work. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, I just think William Defoe was so, so good in it. And whatever your point of view in terms of the filmmaking I just it's I just said that you can argue with him as a performer in terms of investing in it and being the conduit for the audience to 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 get on board I think it was another great performance from him yeah so that was probably the one that I saw that 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 probably you didn't that I was really and the Simon Liang where I was but that's just that's what was interesting was more people walked out of that in the press screening than at the public screening of Siberia um, that I was at, you know, right. there were there were a lot of walkouts at at, at, at days. Um, a lot of critics. I mean, it's towards the end of the festival. A lot of critics just kind of not on board with with it. And even for him, it's slow. <laughs> Do you wow. know what I mean? Like, even, yeah, <laughs> even, even for, for him, him, it really okay. strips back to elemental yeah. faces, right. bodies, really long, really slow. Yeah. No dialogue. It's yeah. yeah. Um, there's, sl- there's slow and then there's Siming Liang slow and then now there is slower than that which I don't know there must be another word for glacial maybe or glacial yeah nice <laughs> it was glacial um, and then a huge kind of yeah if that's how it felt at the end it felt like you know when you see the kind of footage of an iceberg kind of breaking you know in, and that's how it felt it was this hugely overwhelming at least for me um, kind of end yeah nice nice Great. metaphor so then at the end you uh, you also saw the the King Vidor. Yeah, I saw the Sky Pilot which was a 1921 okay. silent movie. Uh I saw that instead of seeing um There is no evil which was the ended okay. up being winning, on the mark again. Yeah, you know, kind of <laughs> oh that that won't do anything. Um and then ends up winning the Golden Bear while yeah. I'm kind of over in uh, in Hollywood town. Um but yeah, it was uh so it was a recent restoration. It was playing part of the rest the the retrospective of King Vidor, and uh, it was it had a live accompaniment by a, a pianist in the room, and it was just oh, it's just wonderful, you know. It was just such a great end to the festival, and just yeah, just you know, kind of had no idea going in what the what the result was going to be, but it was absolutely fantastic. It's the story of a uh, a preacher, a pastor who kind of arrives in this very rowdy small town and uh wants to kind of bring religion to the the kind of the cow hands and uh there's also a plot with um kind of a, a rogue uh landowner trying to steal some cows from another landowner and uh the pastor befriends after they have this incredible bar fight it's absolutely with the kind of the foreman of the ranch and they have this amazing amazing fight in the bar where and the, the foreman's like yeah this is this guy's okay kind of thing and they form this friendship, which is so intimate. Like I, just, it, it was extraordinary to see the tactility with, and the closeness of these two men on screen, you know, in a, and just how, how intimate they were. That how close their bodies were together, how friendly, how, 
you know what would now be kind of called homoerotic but it's it's just it's such a closeness that it was striking you know but it was so beautiful and at no point did you ever think it was kind of a subtext it was just purely these two men love each other and are great friends and then you know there's a woman in the middle but not really in the middle um but an extraordinary kind of portrait of male uh, male friendship and int- intimacy that was absolutely fantastic um colleen moore plays the the young woman uh who's um kind of at the center of it and yes yeah, she's just absolutely phenomenal and then it turns it turns into this kind of christmas movie the last 30 minute sort of sequence of it is is all on christmas day and it was so wonderful in the room because the the uh the pianist started with um start, uh, sort of moved into good king wenceslas lass on the kind of christmas morning uh, uh, which was just a lovely touch but then what was just incredible was the way she evolved wenceslas into dramatic comedic uh kind of uh romantic you know melodies and kind of motifs throughout i just thought this is this is fantastic and you know huge applause at the end for that and just remarkable to watch someone improvise music for 80 minutes and just and just understand you know what what what's kind of going on that was remarkable so it was a really really uh lovely and, and had a shocking bridge scene where they kind of try and scare the pastor who's on this really really high bridge going over a valley and they essentially shoot him off the thing and he's on a horse and the, him and the horse tumble into the ravine into the into the, and um into all into the into the river and both survive but it's absolutely shocking and the way it's cut is fantastic yeah it was it was a great a great uh great movie um, and a nice end to the festival for me. Fantastic. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know whether you caught any of it, but I watched a little bit of the uh, the award ceremony. I saw you tweeting along, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, with awards, it's all, it, it could be anything really, couldn't it? I mean, it's funny though. I mean, the one feeling I had was that sense of, I know that a lot of talk around First Cow about winning Golden Bear, but, you know, the, I didn't think that there was there was a sense in which that that was so outstanding that it was just going to blow everything else away. And I think maybe that that's what's happened to the the festival as a whole, where you're, you're saying it was solid rather than spectacular. And I think a lot of people are saying the same and maybe as well, there was not that it was a careful decision um, to give it to there is no evil, but it, it's definitely, it seems like it's taken into account the sort of context of that film and what it, what it represents mm. as much as the film itself. And we can't, say anything about it because we haven't seen it so but again i don't want to sort of do it down it may be it may be the masterpiece that we haven't seen so but you know yeah an interesting choice in the way that that was has been articulated yeah i think i think you know judging from a little bit of the commentary it seemed like a lot of people critics like missed it because of how late in the festival it played it was literally the last the last morning of, of, of press screening it was the last press screening so i think a lot of people had already gone by then so yeah um kind of a lot of people are now curious to see it i think in you know from that which is great and it definitely felt like that from the speech there was a sense of the the almost a political a political decision because the director obviously couldn't make it because he's not allowed to yeah. leave iran and yeah it's almost unavoidable to to watch iranian cinema without politics you know um but yeah, know, very, yeah yeah just look at jaffa jaffa panahi yeah. as well a similar and this director thing. i think was first arrested working with panahi i read so yeah <laughs> you know yeah, it's yeah, a very yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's kind of it's a reality of, of filmmaking life, isn't it, in Iran? So, yeah, very curious to see it now. I think what I like about awards at the end of festivals is 
it's just more from a kind of curiosity point of view of like what what mm. what do people see differently in terms of and how does a jury kind of look at it you know and you you see Jeremy Irons at the head of the jury and Kenneth Lonergan's in there and stuff like that and you just think like what how yeah. what kind of what are they looking for are they looking for politics are they looking for aesthetics are they you know not that yeah, those yeah, two yeah. can't you know are all separate but I think it's just it's just interesting to see where people come down and and see if the feelings that you have kind of marry up in any way just out of curiosity you know so seeing Hong yeah. Sang Soo win best director felt like it was inevitable after the famous cat scene like how you know just yeah yeah it just you know it would be it was I don't I I, I can't think of a better scene or a more talked about scene at the festival um yeah. and a kind of moment of pure joy and uh, and and Eliza Hitman I thought would get something for that that film I thought that would be you know kind of yeah. honored in some way because if again it felt like people were talking about it and recognized again it's it's a political film um and a very very current political film in terms of uh, american politics so yeah um yeah just curious really to see what what people are kind of plumping for yeah and it was nice that i mean obviously i'd seen udina and i think you know paula beer was great mm. in it in a film that you know i i I just didn't think was quite as good as some of the other stuff I've seen of Pet Sold, even though, you know, a lot of people liked it and I, I liked it also an interesting film. Um, yeah. And other stuff like bad tales I hadn't seen or hidden away. I hadn't seen, which uh, I would like to now. And then there was this, uh, I think there, there was um, down. Natasha was a film mm. that I was just reading actually was getting a little bit of, it had some outside criticism, I think because of something to do with the production and, and, uh, and me too. And, and, and what have you. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's interesting elements coming out of the festival that are both to do with the films themselves, but also, you know, and again, sort of reflecting the the the, the issue at the Caesars. There's definitely this sort of, you know, when when yeah, the, the the discourse of of film in relationship to the industry and to how it treats the personnel in the industry in terms of filmmaking and then the historical mm. abuses and all of that. All of that is still bearing into i think what you might call the kind of culture of awards and festivals it is but they're still not taking the top prizes which is so interesting like that those juries are not you know like last year angela shanalek you know kind of won silver bear maybe or best director but they're not winning it's not winning the golden bear you know it's still there's still that top prize which alludes which i just find fascinating that that no one that it's not coming out of the juries um whether that's I'd, I'd, I'd be fascinated to know those conversations and whether they they yeah. feel any pressure to to kind of to change that trajectory because i think that there are more yeah. female filmmakers in competition now yeah it's harder to not to have less obviously how, <laughs> yeah and ha- and how portrait of a lady on fire didn't win the best french film that you know it's just beyond me i'm sorry but know. again it's you know it's that's <laughs> the green book at the oscars you know we you know yeah, people yeah. in that power we will not be told what to do you know it there's a there's yeah, a power yeah, that yeah. comes with jurying and there's a power that comes with voting that that you know kind of takes over those things and you know i think often critics particularly um cause a problem for films through no fault of their own but 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 through absolutely loving them which is what they should do you know and really championing and saying this is the best film of the year or this is a remarkable film this is a masterpiece but then you know i think a lot of people just don't want to be told well you know i'm i'm going to go in and disagree you know or i'm not going to award it you know or that well it doesn't need our help you know there's i think there's so many factors that come into play that but the result is always the same that you see a film and think how did that how how did 10 yeah, people yeah, yeah. not see the same thing who are supposed to be 
yeah. film people. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, and, and yeah, just to, just to close, I think, you know, maybe summing up thoughts on, on the festival. I mean, ju- just again, it's great to have the privilege to be able to go to the Berlin Film Festival. Um, you know, living in London, it, it, I do go to various, you know, individualized events and then obviously London Film Festival when it's on. But just going out to Berlin, being in the city is is just absolutely wonderful. And the time of year is always just just perfect to kind of get out of town and, and go. And, you know, I did feel like, interestingly, in the sort of bubble of the festival, whereas more in, in previous years, I've just felt like I was, you know, uh, an autonomous being about town, as it were, yeah. um, which is which was an interesting difference. But, you know, those of you who are Patreon subscribers, you'll read, I've, I've written a little bit about defending the spaces for, creative practice and creative thought and sort of that the 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 importance of giving art and culture its due as to why it's still important in all of our lives not just i mean and it's really isn't it's really easy to a be sort of pretentious and high-minded about that or b dismiss it as you know oh we're only just you know going on about films but i think it's you know, the the way that things are going. It's it you know the sort of instrumentalization of culture, and I talk a little bit about the university and the strike that's going on, and you know it all seems to be connected up in this move towards well, any only things that are important are they have to be economically valuable or have an instrumental underpinning to them. You know, you talking yeah. on about films or creating your podcast or whatever you whatever it is you you want to do as your expression of yourself or your you know dedication to knowledge or communication or any of these things however you want to couch it these things are just frivolous in this day yeah. and age and it's not right and it needs to be that space for curiosity and create creativity needs to be fought for agreed uh, a good place to end i think can't really add anything onto that i concur wholeheartedly so with that in mind, I guess we should wrap it up. So this has been, yeah, the, the second half, the second part of our Berlinale special for 2020. It was really nice to to be press with you and kind of, you know, to experience a couple of press screenings with you and, uh, yeah, just get a full day really to kind of, like you say, f- feeling part of the the kind of the cultural whirlwind, whirlwind that is uh, the Berlinale. And, yeah, hopefully people will have enjoyed our kind of missives and our kind of thoughts on on the festival uh, thanks to the, the patreon subscribers whose whose contribution helped us kind of get the accreditation as well which is really you know really helpful um to, to kind of bring you these episodes and thanks to all the uh, contributors over the two episodes yeah thank yeah thanks to everyone who kind of shared their their time with us um really 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 grateful and we'll be back soon with is it is it finally gonna be the voice episode dario that's what everyone wants to know is it gonna happen I, I'm working. I'm working on it to a finish this week, so I'm hoping that's going to be the next one. If it isn't, it'll it'll either be that or the Blake Howard episode. Oh yeah, um, the, yeah, the um, all the got, presidents men, yeah, yeah, yeah. all all the presidents men, yeah. Um, but a couple of episodes to go till our hundredth. But yeah, the the voice is either the next one or the one after. But it's definitely nearly there, nearly you, there. You've been teasing us for months. Oh, We're God, all very excited. Yeah, it's just terrible of me. I'm such a tease. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for a great time in Berlin. Uh, 
check us out on all the usual places, all of our socials, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, email us, cinematologists at gmail.com. And until next time, thank you, Dario. Thank you. It's been great. It has been great. This has been the Cinematologist Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.